0: Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message,
1: so let's dive in. We're going to start today in Revelation chapter 20 with verse 11. This says, Then I saw a great white throne, and then him who sat on it from whose faith the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books, plural, were opened. Uh, if, If you have a Bible or if you even have a device, you want to mark that books, plural. And another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the deed, they're according, were judged according to the works by the things which were written in the books. So there's one book and there's a bunch of books, right? Those books have your deeds written in them or your works written in them. Theologians actually call them the the books of works. There is a book with your name on it and your works. Are written in that book. Right? Now, it's important, but there's also a book, and that's the book of life. But there's books that have your works written in them. Verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Right? So you want to make sure your name's in the book of life. And the only way to get your name in that book is receive Jesus, Right? However, there are also other books, and they have to do with your works, and you're going to be rewarded and judged based on your works. Your works will never get you to heaven, only having your name in the book of life, but there is a reward for the works that you do. In fact, Jesus said in Revelation chapter 22, and behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me. To give to everyone according to his work. The Message Bible says it like this. It says, in my paycheck is in my hand. Right? To give to everyone according to your work. So, Judgment Day is real. And we don't know exactly the wording, but there are two questions that everybody's going to be asked and we'll have to answer for unjudgment day. Number one is what did you do with Jesus? And if you received him as your king, as your Lord, as your savior, you live for him. Your name's in the book of life and you're going to make it to heaven. Second question, what did you do for Jesus? Those are the works. What did you do for him? And I just want to remind you that heaven is not a government housing project. There are different rewards for people when they get to heaven. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is saying, what you do now, you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So what you do today affects your eternity. Uh, I think it's interesting today, most people are are putting something aside, thinking someday I'm going to retire and and I want to have something set aside and and that's good, right? But do you realize that there is going to be an eternity, not not 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, but there's going to be thousands and tens of thousands and millions and billions of years and what you do on earth lays up for you treasures for all of that time. It's a lot more important what you do for eternity than what you do for 10, 20 or 30 years. And then notice it says for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So if you buy a new motor home, listen, you your heart's going to go on the road because you got some treasure there. I remember years ago, uh, we bought a piece of property about five, six miles south on on Homer Street, and we built a house. Now, before we bought that property, uh, I had never even been on Homer Street. But we bought that property, started building that house. I went every day just to see what was happening, just to look at it. Oh, look at that. They put some shingles up. I think they put another wall over here. You say, why would you do that? Because my treasure was there. All right? So what Jesus said is you can direct your heart by what you do with your treasure. He says, you start putting treasure in heaven and your heart will begin to turn towards heaven. Right? Now, in uh, the book of Philippians, now the apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and he has gone out, And he has started a missionary journey and he is planting churches. So he said this in verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now he calls them partners because he's going out, but what they're doing is they're sending offerings and they're supporting him. And he calls them partners. You know, in business, when you have a partner, you share the work and you share the rewards. Share the work, share the rewards. Well, the same thing is true spiritually. When you become a partner, right, by sowing your seed, by sowing a financial gift, how many of you know you did something for that money? Somebody at your house gives 40, 50 hours every week of their time, their talent, their ingenuity, their effort, and trades it for money. See, you don't buy groceries with pieces of green paper or with plastic. You buy groceries with a piece of your life because that's how you, that's, you traded a piece of your life, your talent, your ingenuity, your ability, your giftedness. You traded that, right? So really, you're buying what you buy with part of your life, right? So Paul recognizes that, and he says, you're a partner because you've sent finances that have enabled me to preach the gospel that took your time and your energy and your life. He says, you're a partner. You had a part in, in the work, but you also have a part in the reward. So he says this in the fourth chapter, verse 15. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Now, a lot of times what we think is that we're just giving. We're giving. We're giving. But notice he said giving and receiving, giving and receiving. Listen, every single time, no exceptions that I know of, that the Bible talks about your sowing, it talks about your reaping, right? In Psalms, it says, honor the Lord with your substance, with the first fruits of all of your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. In Malachi, it says, bring the full tithe to the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Prove me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I won't open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. As you sow, you reap. You let go of what you have in your hand. God lets go of something that he has in his hand for you. All right. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again to my necessities. Listen, not that I seek the gift but the fruit that abounds to your account. Not that I seek the gift, but the fruit that abounds to your account. You know, some people say, oh, all they want is your money. No, we want the fruit that abounds to your account. Because everything that your money does goes on your heavenly account. Right? So he says, hey, I'm not excited about the gift. I'm excited that you are laying out for yourself treasures in heaven. Indeed, I have all and abound. I'm full, having received from Epaphrodites the things sent from you. A sweet-smelling aroma. This is how God sees what you give. A sweet-smelling aroma, acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And notice it says acceptable sacrifice. You know, when you give, you ought to give. So it's a sacrifice. Till you know you're giving. Till it somebody said, give till it hurts. But he said it should be a sacrifice. So I believe it was 1988 that uh I get this 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 desire. Really I don't know how to say it. I just felt like I need to go to Russia. I need to go to Russia, I need, to go to Russia. I need to go to Russia. All right. So uh got a couple friends together, Dave Dwell, who some of you know and another guy, and uh At that time, we couldn't get any direct flights in. So we went to Helsinki, took a boat across over to Estonia and then went up to uh, Latvia. And we get to Latvia in uh, the the, the capital of Riga. We get in our hotel. Now, one of the guys uh, had the the name and the address of a Baptist pastor. But other than that, we knew nothing. We didn't know a soul in a whole country. Right. So we get there. we, We check in. And they said, well, what do we do now? I said, well, let's just go take a look at what does this city look like? So we step out. We are not outside the hotel two minutes. And a guy comes up to us and says, are you Americans? And we said, well, yes, we are. How could you tell? He said, well, you're close. You're smiling. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he says, my boss wants to buy you lunch. Okay. So we go a couple blocks and there's a restaurant. We sit down. And here's his boss. His name is Basili. Basili is, I think, six foot eight, 390 pounds. Okay. When he visited us, by the way, I-, I took him to Olive Garden. He bought three dinners and ate them all. <laughs> all right. So uh, Basili says, hey, he says, I'm a businessman. And I pastor a, a small church in a town about 30 miles from here. He said, uh, my father was a Pentecostal pastor was arrested, spent 20 years in a Russian gulag in Siberia for preaching the gospel. And what we talk, and, and when, we're, when we're done, he just says, tomorrow, he's sending, I'm sending my driver. He's going to pick you up, and he's going to bring you to my city. And we said, sure. We'd know what, we'd had nothing else to do. So the driver comes, takes us out to the city, and then we find out this city is a military base, Air Force base, with nuclear weapons. And no whole foreigner has been there since 1945. And it's illegal. And we think, we're going to jail. So we're in the restaurant with this guy. And and he's not only big, like physically, he's big in his voice. He's shouting. And he's talking to us through the interpreter. And he's yelling at at the waiters. 90% of the people in there have got a military uniform on. And we're just thinking, we're going to jail. We're going to jail. And we're trying to whisper. He's just being real loud. And then he says to us, through the interpreter, he says, you should preach in my city. And we said, yes, wouldn't that be wonderful? And he said, well, let's do it. We walk out the door. The the civic auditorium, they call it the hall of culture, is right across the street. In 10 minutes, it's Tuesday. We have rented it for Thursday night. We go down the street to the newspaper and he puts this ad. I still have the ad. Two world-famous evangelists. <laughs> yeah, that's Dave Duell and I. We'll talk Thursday night at 7 p.m. about God. We go back. We pray. We fast. We're thinking, we're going to jail. We're going to jail. Huh? They pick us up. They bring us. We get there. We tried to get. You couldn't get in. Every seat was full. People are standing on the walls. They're standing in the back. The foyer outside is full of people. Well, they turn it over to me, and I get up, and I give a Sunday school lesson that you would give to a six- or seven-year-old. I said, in the beginning, God created the earth. They're going, oh. And God put two people on the earth, Adam and Eve. So I talked for like 25 minutes, but it's translated. It was like 50 minutes. And so I give an invitation like I would on a Sunday morning. And they didn't understand because everybody lifted their hands. So I had them put their hands down and I preached for another 10 minutes and gave an invitation. And everybody, I mean, there was not one person in the civic auditorium that didn't lift their hand. And the, the big guy comes up through the interpreter and he says, they understand. They want to be saved. And I went Oh. (laughs) See, they knew that communism was dead, that it didn't work. They knew that. And there was this void, this vacuum on the inside. And they were just looking for something. All right? So we're walking out afterwards, which was a terrible experience because all the Russian men want to kiss you. (laughs) 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 Horrible. Okay. So. So uh, we're, we're walking out, and I'm with the big guy, and I said, there's going to be such a revival in Russia. I said, you know what is needed is, is a Bible school, because there hasn't been Bible training since 1917. And he said to me, he just looked at me, he said, we could do that. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm expecting to get arrested yet. And he said, we can do that. I can make that happen. Well, at the time, I was on the board of the largest mission-sending organization in the world out of Jacksonville, Florida. So I got back. I called up the president. Three days later, you put him on a plane and flew him over there. And they talked and came up with a plan. All right? So we immediately, we sent a large contribution. And then, by the way, you guys built what we called the Russia House. Can we show you that? We got a picture of it. So somebody donated the land. Somebody else donated lumber. Somebody donated um, the, uh, the, the roofing. Somebody else donated windows. Somebody donated doors. And we built that house and sold it and made over $100,000 and sent that over. And by the way, back then, um, we paid five cents for a hotel room. I flew from Riga to Moscow for a dollar and 25 cents. And the hundred and some thousand dollars that we sent was literally like five or six million dollars, and we financed that Bible school. All right. So Rick Renner was just here uh, a couple months ago, and uh, we sat down and he recorded this video because we took Rick to teach in the Bible school. Rick.
2: We have been friends for many, many years. That's correct. In 1991, Dwayne says, Rick, we got a deal you can't say no to. He said, there's a Bible school that's opened in the Soviet Union, and it's just burning, and we're going to go. And he said, and you are going to go with us. I thought, no, no, I'm I'm not going to go to the Soviet Union. But I found myself on a plane, and we went to the Soviet Union. And God spoke to me that week while I was in the Bible school and said, this is your new home. Welcome
1: to your new home. Yeah. You asked me and I said, do it. We'll give you the first thousand dollars a month support. And you did. And you've been doing it ever ever since. Ever since
2: but the Bible school. It really was the first above ground Bible school in the history of the Soviet Union. And we all walked into that Bible school and it was shocking because there were about 200 students and those kids were doing what they thought would never be possible in their lives. They were openly studying the Bible and the faith in that room and the expectation. It was electric. That crowd became the greatest leaders in the modern movement in the lands of the former Soviet Union. Today, the biggest, biggest churches, the leaders of entire denominations were our students in that school. And your church nearly underwrote the whole first year of that school. Your church has affected the world. You really can't talk about the modern move of God in Russia without talking about that school. And Rez, I just want to tell you, your work has been felt everywhere. It cannot be exaggerated what you have done from Grand Rapids. From Grand Rapids, you can touch the world, and you've done it. Thank you for what you've done.
0: Several,
1: and several of our, our staff moved over there. Pastor Leon and Audrey DeHaan moved over there. Pastor Paul Rosensky and his wife moved over there. Who else moved over there? Steve Bradkovich and, and uh, Sudi moved over there and were teaching. Rick, of course, came and thought he was going to stay for a week. And uh, it's been 32 years, I think, (laughs) that uh, they have been there now. And uh, in in a matter of a few months, by the way, Rick got on television. And in the first two years on television, they had 2.3 million people respond to receive Jesus and go through a 10-week correspondence Bible course. 2.3 million people. Now, you guys, you guys had, literally, it's on your account. You guys financed that. Rick and I were talking of, of uh, the 20, well, out of the school, they started over a thousand churches, and most of the top 20 largest and influential churches in Russia today all came out of that Bible school, and it's all because of what you guys did, and I just think that that is amazing. Now, We have been pastoring here for 40 years now. I've been the lead pastor. Um, When we came, the annual budget of the church for the year was $350,000. But one of the first things that we did was we said we're going to give a minimum of 10% to missions every single year. Minimum of 10%. All right. So in the last 40 years, we've given over just over $59 million. Emissions. And you did that. You did that. So Luke 16, verse three, Jesus is talking about one of the purposes of money. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me and I cannot, cannot dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what I'll do that when I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses or houses So he called every one of his master's debtors to him. And he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to him, mother, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Now, it sounds like Jesus is saying, hey, lie a little bit, chit a little bit. But now Jesus gives the lesson. And I say to you, here's the lesson. Make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon or money that when you fail, when you die, they may receive you into everlasting homes. Now, this is what Jesus said. He said, what you do with your money today is going to affect your eternity. And there are going to be people that are, in fact, I just want like to say this, you need to get some good running shoes because when you get to heaven, people are going to chase you all over heaven. And they're going to say, you sowed and I heard the gospel and I got saved. You sowed, I heard the gospel and I got delivered. You sowed and my life was totally, totally changed. Jesus said, use your money now because what you do with your money now is going to affect your eternity. It's going to affect, you You don't think of it this way, but it is going to affect some of the people you have relationship with in eternity, right? So, so the purpose of money, right? When, when we think about it, we think, well, it's to take care of myself. And, and that, is, that is a legitimate purpose of money. But I want you to listen to Ephesians 4, verse 28. "'Let him who stole steal no longer, "'but rather let him labor, "'working with his hands what is good,' that he may have something to give to him who's in need. You know, we tend to think the first thing we think about is ourself. But the first thing God thinks about is you need to have something to give. Right? You need to have something to sow. And remember, when you sow, it's not gone. It's going to come back into your hand. In fact, every time a dollar comes into your hand, it's a test. Right? You may not have know this, but in the Bible... 10 is the number of testing. David said, would you please test your servants 10 days and let us just eat fruit and vegetables? There are 10 virgins that go through the test. See who's wise and see who's foolish. Jacob said, you've changed my, my uh, wages 10 times. God said, you have tested me in the wilderness 10 times. I remember how many plagues there were. Ten. How many commandments were there? Ten. Listen, this is what Jesus said. He said, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, is Revelation chapter 20, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. How long is the test? Ten days. Ten days. So God says when a dollar comes into your hand, he says take ten percent and start by sowing that into the kingdom of God. It's always a test, all right? It's a test. We fail or we pass. So most of you know that uh, about 18, 20 months ago, we were helping Afghan Christians escape the Taliban because as soon as the Taliban found a Christian, they were killing them. So we helped 2,606 Afghan, almost all believers, get out. Um, and then they, they've been put into, what would you call those? Refugee camps. And uh, we have been taking care of them ever since. Now, some of you probably read about two weeks ago, Fox News carried the article that Pakistan is deporting 2.1 million Afghans that have fled there because they're on the government, government subsidy. All right, nobody of our 2,600 are on government subsidy. Right, we've been taking care of them, and they're working to get p- legitimate papers to be in Pakistan. So we've been feeding them. I, I think we've got a, a few pictures uh, that, that show some of the food and, and, and some of the people. But uh, we've been we've been doing that. So what they decided to do, we didn't ask them to. They just decided to do it. They said, "Well, we're going to take the messages." That I've been preaching here, and we're gonna translate them into Dari, which is the main language in Afghanistan and in part of Iran. And so they translate them, and then every night they make everybody watch. Now, I mean, once might be okay or twice, but every night they're watching, all right? Well, then they get this idea, and they said, well, let's put it on social media and see what happens, all right? So they put it on social media. Now, here, they, here here's the message translated. They they do a really, really good job of it.
2: Uh, I laugh every time I see that. All right.
1: So they throw it up on YouTube. All right. And I don't know if you saw on the bottom there three point six million views. Right. So they, they've been doing that. All right. So we got a, a update Friday. All right. Here's what, here's what came. I've got some of this redacted because we can't have anybody know exactly who and where. All right. But just got an, uh, an update from the team that Pastor D's translated sermon rescued from the darkness, got nine million views this week. We're still counting the salvation reports, the testimonies, the deliverances, and the miracle stories. Here's one testimony. A doctor said, I've been following your sermons now for five months, which has increased my faith and given me an introduction to Jesus. I'm a Muslim. I've never prayed to Jesus before. This week, I had a patient who was suffering from leukemia, which cannot be cured by any treatment. Every time I listened to the sermon, I feel like I could do anything in Jesus' name. So I locked the door and went close to the dying patient. I laid my hands on him and I said, chronic cancer, be gone in Jesus' name. I got really nervous and I left the room. The next morning, I went back for my shift and went to visit my patient. He was talking with his family. I couldn't believe my eyes. I ran back to my team, and they told me right after you left, that patient started improving. Overnight, he didn't need oxygen. We did a biopsy, and there is no leukemia left. Listen, I came home and cried for several hours. I repented, received Jesus as my Savior. I can't tell anyone who did this miracle because they would kill me. But now I will pray for my patience in Jesus' name. You know? You yeah, know, there are 9 million people. But that's just one. That's just one story. So uh, we wanted to be able to get something into their hands, something they could download. So we've got a small book called Your New Life. So they started translating it and finished this week. All right? The guy who was translating left a hard copy in his house. His son had been gone. He was doing black magic and drugs, and he hadn't seen his son for 18 years. His son came home, walked in the house, saw the copy, sat down, read it, got saved and delivered. Mm-hmm. Now, um, one, one, one more uh, little thing about that. Well, we just had a team over there a month ago, a month ago, okay? And one of the things that they did was they went to a brick killing. Now, in Pakistan, slavery is legal, and there's 2.1 million slaves in Pakistan. Now, if you're a Muslim and you become a slave, and, and if you go into debt, you become a slave, right? If you're a Muslim, when you die, it doesn't pass to your children. But if you're a Christian, it passes to your children. Right? And you, get in, you, you end up in one of these brick killings, and it's impossible to pay your debt because they charge you for your food, they charge you for housing, and your debt grows. Right? So they went to one of these brick killings where many of the people, they've been there three, four generations. Right? Almost all of them are Christians. Right. So they, they preach, and they ended up baptizing, I think... 78 people and a woman you want to come up here Bernie so a woman <laughs> comes up to Bernie and has like a a 12 or 18 month old baby and is trying says, give he's he's she's trying to give Bernie the baby and uh, Bernie's like well I can't I can't take the baby Yeah, she tried to give me
0: her daughter, and then she tried to give it to Sydney. and then she tried to give it to Russ, she tried to give it to Jim. Anybody who could take her baby, she wanted to give her baby because she didn't want her baby to grow up in that situation because her older daughter had been sexually assaulted, and she ended up dying from this assault from one of the workers at the kiln. It is a horrible existence. Uh, These people, they beat them, they they keep food from them, anything to make life harder for them is what they're... It's almost like they get pleasure out of of Mm -hmm. hurting these people. Anyway, so this, as you can imagine, kind of rocked our world. So we left that day, and I said to Russ and Jim, I said, "Uh, we're going to wire money. I don't know what it's going to take. We're going to get this lady out of here. And uh, so we called back and wired uh, enough money, and uh, we paid off her debt and got her family out, and then we got another one out, too don 't know if they're, there yeah. it is there they are that 's them breaking the bricks and that 's them in their new house. they have a 15 by fifteen room in an apartment, but you know they were living in a mud shack with mud and animal feces on the floor they they worked twelve hours a day and seven days a week and they got beat if they didn 't make a thousand bricks a day and now he we, we got him a donkey and a cart, and he sells fruits and vegetables in the market. And he, he rents that room, and he's self-sufficient in seven days. So And wow. you guys did that. So yes.
1: thank you. And we got another one. We're going to get a whole bunch more out. Okay. We'll you keep that. All right. I just wanted to let you know some of the things that we're doing. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the stuff next week that we have not been able to talk about, literally, uh, because it was illegal. In fact, it might still be, but we're going to tell you anyhow, okay? But but you're going to love it. You're going to love it, okay? But what Bernie said is the absolute truth. It's what you have done. What you you have sown into the kingdom of God has literally seen millions of people come into the kingdom, thousands of churches, uh, all all sorts of different things. And uh, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, when uh, in First Corinthians 15, where Paul said, your labor in the Lord is never in vain. You do, do not ever think, man, it's gone. It's gone because it left your hand, but it went into your future. It touched people's lives and you are going to receive an eternal reward. Say, so, would you bow your heads for just a moment? Again, always in a group of this size. There's people in all sorts of spiritual conditions. There's people you've lived for God for decades. There's people you've drifted away from God. There's people you're here. You don't know where you stand with God. But Romans 10, 13 says this. Whosoever, that's you and that's me, will call on the name of the Lord. Uh, we're going to do that in just a moment, the way the Bible tells us to. And this is the rest of the verse. We'll be saved. See, if you will pray the prayer that we're going to pray in just a moment, if you'll pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. Literally, 50 years ago, I prayed this prayer. And my life has never been the same. Still working today. And uh, when we pray today, it is going to change your life and change your eternity if you pray this prayer from your heart. So I'm going to ask everybody, pray this prayer out loud, but pray it from your heart. Would you repeat after me? Just say, oh, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. Victorious over death, over sin and over the devil. And I give him all of my heart. In all of my life, I'm not going to live for myself any longer. I'm living for Jesus. I receive him as my Lord, my King, and my Savior. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer, that my past is gone, that I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged
0: by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.